Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. For the opening season of 2021, I bring together stories of hope and positive change and have partnered with innovative florist Little Flowers with the idea that flowers offer us a beauty that naturally gives joy and are a potent symbol of change and development. Like Little Flowers, season four of Style Stories aims to put more smiles on more faces more often. Today, I'm chatting with Sean Redgrave, cook, food and fashion stylist and celebrated winner of season two of The Great Australian Bake Off. While Sean is known for producing food and photo shoots fit for Renaissance royalty, there's no room for pretense in Sean's style. Her look may regularly be suited up, but her well-tailored manner is carefully contrasted with a casual comfort that invites you in and gives you a seat at the table. And it's this delicious mix of delightful ingredients that makes Shan's style feel both aspirational and approachable. In keeping with Shan's signature suits and sneakers, I've styled her in a golden goose set paired back to a Prada-esque vintage shirt from my collection. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Shan's story. Hi, Shan. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure. Um, now, we've not met before, uh, but I felt very compelled to um, to meet you and to have you on the podcast because I feel like you're a woman of my own heart. You're an overthinker <laughs> who loves food and fashion. You're partial to a dry martini <laughs> and you offer the same sense of nostalgia to food that I feel like I offer in terms of value to fashion. Mm -hmm. So I want to start there and, you know, in terms of nostalgia and kind of dig into your past to understand your influences, um, I know that in terms of cooking, what you're known for, you've said in the past that you know, your joy and love for it came from watching your mum and your grandmother cooking in the kitchen as a kid. Um, tell me a, a bit about that. Um, I've actually had a bit of a contradicting start to life because um, being raised by women, I was raised by my mum and my auntie mm. and um, they were very health conscious. So right. all organic food, nothing processed, nothing packaged, you know, I'd come home from school and want Tim Tams and mum would be like, right, well, we're making them with carob, yeah. not with, you know, <laughs> nothing um, mainstream. So I think that was the obsession with food out of necessity as well. Yeah. But, you know, mum always tells the story that when I was three, she heard me dragging a chair up to the counter to make fruit salad for her. Yeah. You know, that little. So the passion probably just because I'm a guts and I love eating <laughs> was always there. But um, it definitely came from passion and also, you know, that need because my mum was so health oriented and um, we just didn't eat normal normal food. Right. It was all vegetarian. Um, yeah, no additives. And my mum still li lives like that now. So it really influenced me. Right. And you, you're... You have a focus on Italian style cooking. Is that part of your heritage or background or is that I'm a fraud. A <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's, again, um, my brother is actually 12 years older than me and okay. different fathers. Right. So I was raised as an only child. Okay. And I think I just desperately craved that big family thing and 
from as little as I can remember, aesthetic drove me so strongly and mm. reading Renaissance books of artwork and then the food that was Italian just captivated me. It was the whole essence of Italian culture. Right. And everyone thought I was Italian. Yeah. I was like this hairy little kid, yeah. you know, <laughs> with a moustache and like, you know, socially outcast. I, I, and I just, that appealed to me so much. Right. And so, because you obviously have a deep love for so many different creative pursuits, what did that look like in your household? Like where, obviously your mum was very nutrition focused, but was she creative? Like how do you get into studying Renaissance? <laughs> I was a weird child. <laughs> mum was probably worried about me. No, um, my father's an architect, so... Right. That, that was definitely an influence. Yeah. And I just remember dad as a kid being like the chicest man you've ever seen. He, right. he looked like Richard Gere, drove a Saab, had a Rolex. Like, you know, he was boss man. And then growing up with, you know, the influential women in my life, my auntie um, was a dealer in, arch- um, in antiques. So um, she was always buying design books and interesting things. And mum was just a collector of pretty stuff. Mm. Um, it, so it was always around me. And I think being on my own a lot as a child, um, I would just dive into these worlds yeah. of creative things and, you know, immerse myself in it and daydream and read books on, you know, design and architecture and fashion. And and mum always um, loved women like Sophia Loren and 90s supermodels. You know, I was born in the 90s. So that was always this object of beauty. And I think those women were always interested in more than just fashion. They were really integral women of class. So that influenced me massively. So despite that, you know, you had these kind of um, very feminine kind of uh, icons or role models around you and you're saying your mum collected pretty things, Mm -hmm. yet pretty is not necessarily how you identified um, in terms of style as a kid. I've read somewhere that you you kind of rejected skirts and dresses from an early age and you've described yourself as a high-end designer, Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) God, I did say that. So true. (laughs) Nomcore all the way. Yeah. (laughs) So how did, like, what do you think that was about when you were... Because it obviously started early if you kind of rejected the kind of dresses and skirts what what do you think was going on there for you as a little person um I loved Batman yeah I really yeah. really firmly remember being obsessed with a Batman <laughs> costume most of my friends were boys when I was little um and I think there there were those women then I remember watching Pretty Woman and Julia Roberts in one scene had a suit on in the park with Richard Gere mm. and I was like that just appeals to me and maybe because I realised that I looked very feminine, that I wanted to go the other way in my dress sense or that I guess there was a little bit of a, I didn't want to be like a weak girl. Yeah. And obviously that's not true whatsoever. If you want to dress pretty, it doesn't mean anything about your sense of strength. But I didn't, it just didn't appeal to me. And I think I loved those strong, empowered women and um very much that 90s aesthetic of androgyny yeah and do you do you think that because your father was so stylish you may have looked to him to be accused to of yeah. style and because dad wasn't um you know prominently in my life I probably had the, him on this pedestal mm. of when I did see him I thought he was just this aloof you know enigma of <laughs> <laughs> beauty and um 
yeah, and maybe because that masculine influence of my life was not there very much as a kid, yeah. I romanticised over it more than the femininity. Yeah. Um, but your idols outside of, um, you know, your, your immediate family are really quite eclectic. <laughs> so <laughs> they range from Picasso to David Bowie. Um, is that correct? That's yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, why do you think you kind of um, have borrowed from so many different uh, eras over time to to uh, inspire you? Uh, I I really believe in eras. There's just these people who, uh, you know, there's no shame. They are one hundred percent authentically themselves, and you can see that throughout time. Like whether we're going back to you know the Renaissance or to the seventies with mm. Bowie and. Um, these people that just, you know, exude confidence and sophistication even if they don't fit in, I, I think that's been the factor that really draws me to someone like, you know, Tilda Swinton or, um, you know, even Sophia Loren in her time, she was just, you know, she didn't shave her armpits or, like, <laughs> you know, she was quite different to the norm. Yeah. Um, and maybe just being that bit of an outcast as a kid. What, why do you it. say like why do you say that like what was um happening as a kid where you kind of felt like you didn't belong I just didn't feel very cool <laughs> at all like I lost my two front teeth at the same time <laughs> I remember going to school one day and this kid laughing at me and I'd been drinking milk and I spurted all the milk out the front of my <laughs> two missing front teeth um I but I loved that my mind was kind of inquisitive and I was a bit of a dreamer and I think that was part of me that didn't really want to fit in yeah uh, and I think I definitely have an old soul and I, I felt that as a child. Like, I didn't feel like a kid. I felt older. Yeah. Um, and do you think because you were kind of grew up like an only child, just being around adults all the time, that may, you know, may have exacerbated that? Like that? The, yeah. The, the I think maybe on some level, like, I grew up faster than I should have. Yeah. Um, but there was still naivety and innocence to those days and... Um, I don't know, I, I, I really believe that we're all born who we are. Mm. You know, that nature versus nurture thing. Obviously, your conditioning influences you, but um, I think that in me was just there from day go. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I read somewhere, again, that, you you know... It, Testimony, testimony to your love of Batman. You, <laughs> you you went to a wedding as a uh, as a little girl in dressed in as dressed as Batman. <laughs> How did you go from that to then pursuing a career uh, uh, before you went into food in fashion and and you studied costume design? Is that mm. correct? What were the kind of permutations that <laughs> went from someone who <laughs> rejected fashion to taking it on as? Um, some, something of interest. I don't know if I ever rejected it, but maybe the mainstream view of it was something that I didn't really relate to. You know, high school was a weird time for me because I found myself in the popular group, but right. you no, know, I didn't want to wear Supre or like any of that was, that's what co- was cool then. Um, and high school was probably that beginning of my mind just started imploding because I loved music. I played musical instruments at school. Um, what did I you play? Drums and clarinet. Oh, cool. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really sporty. You know, I played state netball. Right. Like I've found myself good at lots of different 
different things and really interested in it. There was the fashion thing. I was obsessed with set design. Lord of the Rings had come out and I was just mind blown that they'd built everything at miniature scale. I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. Um, There was the food, everything. And I just, I didn't know how to choose what I wanted to do. And I didn't have that really clear calling. I thought maybe architecture like my dad. I remember um, going to a career counsellor in school and, you know, I think that system is just so toxic for, you're still a kid really Mm. as a teenager and someone saying to you, what are you going to be? It's just so limiting to think that you have to choose one thing, especially creatively because all of those other facets influence the one that you might choose to do as your career. Mm. Um, And I was desperate to go to Whopper. So Whopper is like NIDA's brother-sister school. Yep. Uh, and I just fixated on that then and I was like, I have to go there. It's elite. It's great. They're the best. Um, I'm doing set and costume design. So my teachers at school were like, you're too young, you won't get in. And that just became my mission then. Right. And I got in. So yeah. <laughs> that's well, how it all started, probably purely to prove somebody wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you got quite a rebellious spirit in yeah, you. I'm a Scorpio, you know. So. <laughs> um in terms of that experience um, studying, then did you you find your tribe there, or was that you know how did you how did you find it? Um, Whopper was like the Hogwarts of university. <laughs> yeah. It was it was incredible. Um, I think I pretty quickly realised that I didn't want to be a set designer, which was what I'd initially gone there for because I was far more architecture interested in the beginning Mm. and the set design was quite similar doing CAD drafting and all that sort of stuff and I realised I hated sitting at a computer. That was the biggest thing. It's like I can't be a desk person. So the costume thing really started to take off and there were amazing lecturers. There was this old Italian woman that had lived in Rome near the Colosseum and she used to come with um, all these old slides from, you know, the National Gallery in London and show us costumes and I was like, okay, this is great. The mm. fashion thing is more my vibe and probably the people I clicked with at uni were the people in costume. So yeah. that's how that all came to be. Right. And then you worked in the fashion industry? For yeah. So yeah. during university I started working for a store in Perth called Dilettante and that was just you know, the coolest, coolest place. I remember walking in there and being so scared that I wasn't dressed well or... Mm. So getting a job there was just mind-blowing. What made, what made it cool? I, I, I'm not familiar um, with At that time, I guess we were in that stage where, you know, like Rick Owens and the whole black, like drapey, very avant-garde style was coming out of Berlin and um, in a little place like Perth the people that dress like that just stood out mm. and, you know, you thought they were amazing and generally they all had amazing homes and beautiful artwork and there was this real osmosis with people in Perth. If they were into fashion, they are into music. I massively got into house music and DJing at that time and right. it all Did you actually DJ? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, walking in and seeing Vivian Westwood bridal, like, out of Sex and the City, it was just – that was amazing as a, like, 19, 20-year-old. Yeah. Um, and really just catapulted me into that world. How long did you kind of work in that industry for? Uh, I was doing buying and styling then um, right up until the whole Bake Off thing happened. Right. Yeah. So getting into that, like you're <laughs> obviously known as um, the finalist or the, the winner of uh, season two of Great Australian Bake Off. Um, what 
compelled you to to audition or you know put your application in I was quite obsessive and yes I'm an obsessive person (laughs) if I love something I really love it and struggle it but um my boyfriend at the time and I that was our thing to watch British Bake Off right you know we, we would come home from we were both studying he did fashion design and worked in hospitality he was exhausted I was too we'd watch you know like 10 episodes in a row and I just loved that it wasn't bitchy like it was the the hosts were fantastic Mary Berry was the sweetest thing you'd ever seen and um I always thought I'd be good at that you know um were you baking a lot at the time not really (laughs) um then yeah to the time of when that happened um my auntie actually passed away very suddenly from cancer and from the day we found out she was sick, six weeks later, she was gone. So oh, wow. That's um, sudden. That was triggering. And I think at that moment too, I was like, I've got to get out of Perth. Um, and then everything just And aligned. given that she was a big influence on you in terms of cooking as a kid, was it almost like paying homage to her to, to kind of honour some of that? Yeah, I definitely felt as though I had something to prove. Mm. and um something to do for her I think um there's a lot of her life that she was very crippled with anxiety in a lot of ways and um you know she died when she was 53 so for me going on there I think I had this drive to do it for both of us Mm. rather than just myself Mm. and you know the audition thing came out of the blue like I I went to a dinner party one night miserable as all hell I'd broken up with the boyfriend and my aunt had just passed away and turns out an ex-MasterChef contestant was at the dinner and I'd brought cake for dessert (laughs) and then a casting producer from Fremantle Media saw her Instagram post and was like, please tell that girl to try out. We're doing Bake Off for Australia. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, finally, (laughs) it's coming to Australia because I actually have a British passport. Okay. And at one point I was thinking I would apply for the British one, Mm. but then the Aussie thing came up and I was like, okay, seems like right time. Yeah. It was just universal alignment. Yeah. Do you feel, I don't know, do you have a sense of... um spirituality to you do you feel like massively yeah Yeah. do you feel like that like your auntie's kind of almost like gift to you given the time all the time yeah yeah Yeah. i i'm a huge believer in you know law of attraction and like neurolinguistics all of all of that sort of stuff um i don't think there was any chance to it whatsoever yeah it was just so the timing was perfect yeah and and an amazing experience did it live up to all your your kind of binge watching at home (laughs) I'm not just a sad person on the couch eating cake while watching Bake Off I went on it but um yeah I was pretty bewildered it took me a long time to get out of that I can't believe this has just happened to me sort of mindset because it just happened so quickly yeah and that's the thing with life you know everyone feels so stuck in the moment they're in but you never know it's like can literally wake up tomorrow and your circumstances can be completely different as yeah. they were to yesterday yeah um so I guess you probably took that and like ran with it and especially given everything else that was happening at the time probably just it's you know that feeling of life is short so I'm going to give this my all yeah um one of the things I was thinking about you know in terms of who you are and how you represent yourself is like how did that all come together for you but for me um 
you know, like because you do have a savoury tooth, not a sweet one. Massively, yeah. <laughs> um, and was it was part of uh, the attraction to the show that it has such a high visual element to the cakes? Like, you know, that it's not just about the food, um, it's about how you present the food as well. Like, do you, do you think that's... Yeah, I mean, watching the British one... I was very captivated by people's creativity mm. and, you know, these just, you know, like shortbread structures of the Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Sure. Yeah. Someone built Hogwarts out of biscuits. It's yeah. like, this is, this is for me, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. finicky, obsessive, like totally naff, totally dorky. But it's almost architectural as well, yeah, right? Like yeah. It was everything yeah, combining coming together. Um, because I, I don't like cake, yeah. really, to be <laughs> honest. I'd rather eat bread and salt and butter than... A yeah. piece of cake. Um, and I, I realised the first episode that we filmed, I nearly went home. Right. Um, I had a disaster. <laughs> I tried to make something really spectacular and just didn't do it to the time allowance. And yeah. the time allowance thing is real. Yeah, was it a chocolate cake? Or was it yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the chocolate cake that nearly melted <laughs> yeah. off the bench that I think Matt Moran said was the ugly duckling. <laughs> and it was only that somebody else did worse than me yeah, right. that I stayed in. Yeah. And from that day, my tactic changed completely. Mm. I was like, I'm technically probably not the best baker here yeah there's women in their 70s that have baked for cwa i'm 23 yeah you know i've got no game (laughs) (laughs) but i knew um visually that i was the best right like and i needed to use my creativity to my advantage and instead of taking you know four hours to make something really technical that wasn't beautiful i was better off spending the four hours making something spectacularly visual Mm. that had great flavor but maybe not the most technical thing yeah because I just didn't have the experience yeah um but you certainly kind of come leaps and bounds in terms of experience with cooking now and you seem to present almost this series of contrasts you know you say that you're not a logical person but there is a technicality (laughs) in what you do um you know there's the sweet savory kind of combination um and I think even you've described the food that you present to the world now as really nutritious, but there's like these elements of indulgence in there. Uh, do you find that that kind of series of contrasts would apply to who you are and how you represent yourself style-wise? Yeah, I'm, I definitely have the yin and yang yeah. in me for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of us should be rigid and you know I'm I'm a hedonist in everything (laughs) like I think um you know health is is really big for me but then mental health and physical health are are two separate entities that need to work together so it's like if you look after yourself most of the week but then having a glass of wine makes you happy the happiness is worth it yeah and um I definitely I feel like that in myself with everything I'm I'm constantly contradicting myself, but mm. it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> Do you think it also um, – because you seem like a very warm, open person, um, but – do you think that maybe having some of that contrast allows you to hold a degree of intrigue uh, to other people as well or especially in terms of like how you dress, do you think that that allows someone to kind of go, oh, I don't – I don't yeah I don't understand that as well it's not as straightforward as I thought you know that kind of element to it I I get a lot of people meeting me and saying that I'm different to they would have expected yeah and to be honest I probably I love that very strong very powerful aesthetic in fashion and I guess it's very easy to get the wrong impression of someone 
or think they're going to be a certain way if they dress that way. And then I'm a massive dork and I'm a, you know, a total nurturer. um, And that's quite contradicting to that because the way I present myself is probably quite cold. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that sometimes, you know, I I distinctly remember moving to Sydney and, um, meeting with like the first agent I had ever met and you know I was so naive to the whole thing and she was like oh wow I really thought you were going to be a bitch yeah (laughs) (laughs) well how did you respond to that I was just I couldn't believe somebody had said that to me and yeah I guess it's just you never know where someone's coming from in themselves and the way they see you yeah so one of the um people that you've said that you met along your food journey that was like one of your food idols was Nigella Lawson um Why do you love Nigella? I think as a kid I would come home from school and she was on TV Mm. and, you know, she's just so magnetic. Like whether that's from, you know, your sexuality or a place of intelligence, she's just like mesmerising in some way and I just thought she was so witty. I loved her sense of humour. and she was beautiful. Yeah. And I think in that nature of like, you know, Monica Bellucci, Sophia Loren, I always loved those dark kind of mysterious women. And I was like, oh, look, there's one in food. So yeah, <laughs> I think I was just drawn to her. Yeah. And I, I feel like you have some of those kind of sultry elements <laughs> to you. And, that you know, in terms of those contrasts, I think that's what they offer. They do, like from my perspective anyway, they offer this kind of covert sultriness um but you don't you don't do the dresses and the skirts to kind of promote your sexuality or sexiness it's kind of just it's more intriguing and within how do you feel like when you want to feel sexy or or you know kind of present that side of you to the world how do you do that I think sexiness is something that is felt by Mm. others and it's that feeling of you're wearing something you feel confident in you smell nice you've woken up and been mindful you've meditated whatever it is for you I mean personally for me I'm just in that clear zone of thinking Mm. and you're coming from a place that's authentic I think the authenticity is the sexiest thing anybody can have and you know even with Nigella I think she was always herself yeah and um, meeting her in person, that that is her. I, it's not put on. It, it wasn't formulated for a social persona. Yeah. She just, she is alluring yeah. and that's sexy because it's not orchestrated. Yeah. Do you find food sexy? Massively. Yeah. <laughs> in what ways? Um, I mean, it's just this like raw thing that we all have to do every day, isn't it? Yeah. It's... um. And I definitely think doing something like that is my way of showing someone I love them. I was going to ask yeah. if it's your love language because it's um, certainly mine. But I'm an affection. <laughs> I'm, I'm a words of affirmation, <laughs> affection and feeder. <laughs> so, Again, it's, it's yeah. exactly in tune um, with. I mean, how can it not be sexy? Like, you know, look at figs, look at like burrata. Yeah. Come on, yeah. you know, amazing. Um, if you're eating shit out of a packet not sexy yeah but beautiful produce from the earth that you know is there for us 
it, I think that's a natural biological thing for a human to look at that and go, wow, I need that yeah. in my body. <laughs> yeah. And as, as you said, you know, like in terms of the types of food, it's like nutritious. You're, you're feeding somebody something that mm. is good for them, but there's a delight and indulgence at the same time. Um, you also talk a lot about nostalgia in your food and in that food um, is a great way of evoking emotions and memories. Um, and funnily enough, only this week you have been posting Instagram stories about Spanakopita. <laughs> <laughs> and Spanakopita, I have um, spoken to Sylvia Coloca in the past and we kind of shared our stories but, you know, there's a particular attachment for that to that dish for me because my mum's passed and that was mm. that was her kind of cooking legacy that I try to honour. Um, what what is that kind of evocative nostalgic dish in your life that really kind of represents something really meaningful to your past? Um, pesto is a big one. Mm. The smell of basil and you know the sound of the mortar and pestle. Like that, that's my mum making food for me as a kid. Right. With farfalle, always the little bows. I was obsessed with them as a kid, you know, a novelty shape. You're like, wow. Um, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> so pesto for me is a big one um, and spanakopita too. Yeah. Um, How come spanakopita? Your mum again? Mum always made it, which yeah. is strange because, you know, she's not Greek. But yeah. um, I think it's a really comforting flavour combo. Anything mm. with cheese. Yeah, like it's just the bomb. And do you Love have it. any special, like little tricks to your your spanakopita? That um, I ma- I make my pastry and oh, do you? That's a what like a fillo? Yeah. Oh wow. So you kind of stretch it over a table. Yeah, use right. A table Is that what you were doing it. on your stories? Yeah. Just, right. Okay. So for people at home, that's kind of if you give yourself that's a impressive. date, it's actually really achievable. <laughs> no, it's as soon as somebody teaches you the first time. Yeah. It's um. It's just understanding that, that it. That might up my, my spinnacle bit of game. I will you might have you. to teach me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But, you know, even spinach and ricotta ravioli or like it's just amazing. But yeah. fresh ricotta is the – that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like go to Paisanella or, you know, out to Haberfield and get some really like still warm, beautiful ricotta. Mm-hmm. That, that's the flavour. Yeah. And organic spinach. Right. Stuff that's sprayed and in the supermarkets. It's yeah. never going to have that super kind of peppery – because um, you know in Greece they'd use wild greens. Oh, and my actually, this is the biggest tip: use clarified butter or ghee. Yeah. If you use straight melted butter, it's always going to go soggy. To layer the the yeah. filo. Yeah. Right. Because the uh, the water content in the butter is still there if you haven't clarified mm. it, and that's what makes it go soggy. Oh, these are so, good tips. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So if if those types of dishes, you know, kind of resonate with your memories in terms of fashion because I obviously feel that there as I said at the beginning the nostalgic piece that that um food can evoke we often take on in our personal style without even realizing it Mm. um are there ways obviously we've talked about your dad and the kind of suiting elements are there other pieces in your that you maybe perhaps treasure um as a result of nostalgia uh, the, the suit, the blazer is just, you know, my number one item. Yeah. Um, but I love cable knit jumpers. Yeah. I think my dad wore, again, you know, a lot of like Max Mara and um, like old Xenia, Armani, mm. um, kind of big chunky neck sweaters. So I love winter for that reason. Yeah. I think dressing like that is the ultimate. Um, and then sneakers. I'm 
I'm not a high heel person, love sneakers. Um, and I think that's a nostalgic thing of being a kid. Yeah. And being surrounded by lots of boys, you know? Like, yeah, probably. Yeah. I've never thought about where the sneaker thing came from, but, you know, I loved like A Tribe Called Quest and, you know, that whole like Brooklyn, um, New York kind of music scene as well. Maybe it was something from that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've moved, you moved from Perth to Sydney about four or five years ago. Five years, yeah. 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 And how did you find that? Because they are, I mean, both, I, I'm trying to be um, appropriate, but <laughs> <laughs> be politically correct here about how different the states are. Yeah. 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 Like, how did you find that transition? Uh, really difficult, yeah. to be honest. Um, when I first got here, I think the naivety of my age saved me. You know, if I'm 29 now, mm. if I'd gone through that whole thing and somebody said, move states, change careers, you don't know anybody in that city, figure it out, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, I think the fear would overrule me now. But at the time I was like, okay, let's go. Suitcase, $300 in my bank account. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but Perth was wonderful in terms of creatives really banded together. And I think we lifted one another up and there was just this great community of people. And then coming to Sydney, it was a lot of kind of empty promises, people saying they would help you or do something. And I realised how competitive this city can be. Mm. And um, it took me a long time to find my voice and not just say yes and... Um, not be taken for a ride yeah. with things. And, and have you? Do you feel like you're settled here now? Like, is this a place you call home? Um, I don't think this is my forever place. Mm. But Sydney, I think for the rest of my life, I will look back at this and think this was just the most incredible five years I could have asked for. Yeah. Because I think that little bit of maybe feeling like I didn't fit in or you know, necessarily want to be here has encouraged me to really throw myself into my work. And, mm. you know, the re reality was I came off Bake Off and I'd never spent a single day in the food industry. Um, and I had so much to learn and um, I was still the student. I was in no position to be the teacher and, you know, have a cooking show or a cookbook or any of those things that at the time I thought was right. Yeah, they, they seemed like the logical next yeah. step. Yeah, it takes so much longer to be somebody who's, you know, rich of knowledge to actually teach other people those things. Um, so Sydney for me is just, yeah, it's, it's very special, but mm -hmm. I don't plan the rest of my life here. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you fancy travelling abroad when that's a... a an, an easier option than right now is that something you'd like to do to venture further out of Australia or yeah Italy's obviously yeah. calling yeah um, the dream scenario would be kind of half the year here right. and half there yeah um but I'm up for adventure my other big thing with Sydney because I'm originally a Melbourne kid before we moved yeah. to Perth I really thought Sydney would be a big city yeah and I don't really find it busy enough yeah for my liking so I don't know maybe I'll end up in Hong Kong or <laughs> <laughs> London into we'll in terms of your actual home given that you have so many different creative pursuits that you love that are pa you're passionate about um which room in the house makes you the happiest I know I should say the kitchen but <laughs> um I would actually say my my room yeah um 
I love sleeping. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really enjoy sleeping. I don't enjoy sleeping in. Um, I feel lazy when I do that, but yeah. um, I don't get a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. Probably self-induced, not just my schedule. Like I, I really find it hard to relax. Um, I think I've built up this notion of like, if I'm not doing something, I'm not getting any further or so I can be a bit hard on myself. I've, I've tried very hard to make my room, you know, very relaxing and, you know, spend time there meditating and just disconnecting from this overwhelming sense to achieve something because yeah, yeah, I've, I've had adrenal fatigue before and it's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of future pursuits though you have a magazine that you're working on is that right yeah and it's called I'm going to mispronounce this Abiyoko 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 which my understanding is means the feeling that you get after like you've had a a big meal like that kind of food coma yeah yeah awesome (laughs) why why is it called that and what can we expect from it um I guess you know, these five years in food, I've realised, like, it's definitely time for me to do a book. Mm. Um, I think that'll be somewhat in the near future. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I also find that um, I need a way to combine all these other things that I love. And just being a chef is not going to fulfil all these other creative aspects of me. So I also realised that in Sydney I'd met so many amazing people that have ended up being friends that are photographers and you know um, graphic designers visual artists I've found the creative click here again and I think a lot of us that do freelance don't necessarily get to do the work we really want to do we're still working for clients where there's you know xyz you have to conform to and you know those real passion projects are missing so that was kind of the birthplace of wanting to do a magazine Uh, it's still a total work in progress but I'm hoping it will come together especially around the time I do a book so it can all work harmoniously nice Um, and my last question to you Sean is given that um, you kind of you have a a fairly steadfast understanding of who you are and an old soul (laughs) when you when you are 70 like in, and an older woman, how do you imagine yourself representing yourself at that time? Um, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> I just hope I look at myself and know that I took risks and I was brave and I didn't follow the pattern that anybody else laid out for me because um, I think I have a very strong intuition And the times in my life that have gone a bit off course is when I haven't listened to that. Mm. So I hope at that age I'm just, I'm so solid in myself that I took that voice and and made it my plan. Mm. Um, And And still in your beautiful tailored suits. Yeah, I hope I'm still sitting in a suit. (laughs) Um, Probably Andamula Meester or something with a long (laughs) cigarette holder and a Negroni. Being lavish. I think, was it Peggy Guggenheim that was in love with Venice and... You know, she used to be rowed around on the canals yeah. in her 90s, yeah. I think. That could be my life. Cor- Corella sounds- Deville without killing puppies. <laughs> Super chic. <laughs> sounds like a nice ambition. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and probably a little bit fatter than now because I <laughs> eat more than I do. <laughs> Just indulging in your uh, pesto pasta. Exactly. And lovely yeah. desserts. Well, thank you, Sean, so much for joining me today and sharing your style story. Thank you. Thank you. 
Whether it's salty versus sweet, indulgent versus restrained, or classic versus contemporary, Shan's series of contrasts seemingly want to keep you guessing. And while she may offer some sense of sensual mystery to her style, Shan comes as an open book. Her tale is one of an old soul who takes inspiration from the past, has a deep attachment to family and home, but firmly lives in the present, carrying her personal history with grace and with gratitude. Perhaps it's her nod to nostalgia or simply her ability to make phyllo pastry from scratch, but I found a kindred spirit in Shan's story, and it's her style to break the bread, pass the wine and share it all. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed hearing this style story, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating to help other like-minded listeners find these stylish stories.